Welcome back to Half the Battle. It's me, Daniel Levy, your host, and Shaq, your co-host. We're going to be talking UFC Sacramento, Durand and me versus Aspen Ladd, and Shaq is going down this Saturday in Sackdown. The classic striker versus grappler, and the winner's looking to get a title shot against the champion Amanda Nunes. Yeah, it's going to be a really good fight. I mean, Aspen Ladd, since this girl got into the UFC, she's been pretty much running through the division. I mean, she's already number four in the world in such a short time, very young, and now she's fighting a former world champion in Jermaine Durand and me. A lot of people like to refer to her as the girl that hit Holly after the bell. I know we all love Holly. She's a nice girl, but after the bell shots or not, Holly would have lost that fight. But, you know, uh, but that's how uh, we know Jermaine. So this is a good opportunity to, for, for her to clear her name a little bit. You know, she had that nice one over uh, Pennington a few months back. So let's see uh, who wants that title shot. Also, in the co-main event, you got the old school versus the new school because the UFC Hall of Famer, the former WEC featherweight champ, Uriah Faber, is taking on the hot prospect, Ricky Simone. And man, every single time that Uriah Faber makes that walk at the Arco Arena in Sacramento, you know, it's a sight to see. It's going to be no different this Saturday night. Yeah, Faber's a legend. He paved the way for all these little guys that you see fighting, you know, uh, on your typical Saturday night. And it's good to see him back, you know. And he wants to challenge himself against the number 15 guy in the world, arguably the top prospect in the Bantamweight division in Ricky Simone or Simon, as other people like to call him. (laughs) So, uh, you know, we'll, we'll we'll see how he does. Man, I'm very excited so let's get right down to business Shaq because first up in the Bantamweight division we got Benito Lopez he's nine and one and Vince Morales is nine and three currently they got Vince Morales minus 140 the comeback on Benito Lopez is plus 120 and Shaq I just want to mention to you that this line has actually flipped because initially it opened minus 265 for Benito Lopez. Now he's a plus 120 dog. So obviously I got to know your perspective on the matchup, but more importantly, what do you think about the line movement? Yeah, it's really interesting because you got a guy in Vince Morales who lost his contender series fight to Domingo Pilarte by finish in the second round, rear naked choke. And then he came back and had a, a decent showing against Song on short notice. I guess that was a rough spot for him to perform in China. He was doomed from the start. And then he got the win over Sahabi, a very close fight, a 28, 29-28 type of fight. Vince Morales, he's a tough guy you know uh he's ricky he's ricky's cousin every every uh top 15 guy has to have that older cousin that you know backs him up a little bit but all fun and games vince morales is a very tough guy i would say his best attribute is obviously his boxing he really doesn't have many other other many other attributes seems just like he likes to keep his punch count a little high and uh throw big bombs and you know benito lopez is more of the long rangy striker more dynamic more weapons the jab the knees and he's got very good knees i mean he's dropped a lot of people with those knees peterson he dropped albert morales with those knees um so i mean and he's done that a lot on the local scene so he's it's a guy definitely known for uh for landing a lot of flying knees, and his fight with Martin Day was going to be really exciting because you got two guys that liked to throw, you know, a lot of spins, some knees, and, and it was going to make for a good fight. I think that this is, honestly is probably a little better of a matchup for for Benito. You know, Day Day's a Hawaiian savage. You know, I feel like Vince Morales is just very basic with his right hands, and I'll, and I'll tell you this: Benito definitely does not have a good history to responding to right hands. Not saying that he gets knocked out or anything, but the only question I have with Benito is his durability a little bit. You know, I. Feel feel like he's a young kid but I, I think he cuts very easily and I think that he's a guy that when he takes a big shot that it doesn't kind of deter him a little bit it just seems that when he gets hit with a big shot he either likes to get tied up for a significant amount of time and then separate go back to his long strikes but it just seems that you know after that after all the knees have settled down he uh just 
looks like a poor man's version of Philly. So I think this fight's going to come down to who can pull the trigger, who's going to move forward. You know that this is in Benito's hometown, so we know that this if this is close, this could possibly go to him. But at the same time, he just won a fight in Canada the other day against his Ahabi. So, you know, that is uh, that could be complete bullshit. So it is complete bullshit. So it's going to be a good fight. Benito overall is probably the better fighter. So when you got the overall better fighter at dog money, that, that is probably a good option. And so I will pick him to win this fight. But I think it's a very close matchup. I feel like it, it could be one of those give or take either sides because Benito... I don't want to question his heart, but I feel like Vince might be a little tougher than him. I feel like Vince might be able to take a little more damage. So uh, so I think Vince does have some good things going for him. But I feel like Vince is a for everyone to be betting on him like this. This guy, it kind of reminds me of... Uh, a spot like Ool and Anderson Dos Santos for, you know, for the line to be so wide on the opener and then everyone to take a guy who's, you know, one and two in UFC-related fights. It's kind of sketchy to me. But, you know, we'll see what happens. But I got to go with Benito Lopez. Yeah, I mean, you said it well, man. This kid, Vince Morales, he's pretty tough, and He only likes to throw hands. The area that I'd criticize him in is that he's very easy to back up and he doesn't control the center of the cage. And when you talk about going to the judges' scorecards, that does not look good if you're betting on the guy. And for Benito Lopez, I agree with you 100% that the one thing you got to worry about with him is sometimes he doesn't respond the best when he gets hit hard. So Vince Morales has to come out here, put that pressure on him, get that strike count up, and try to land on Benito's chin. And for Benito Lopez, I do think he's the much more talented guy, the better athlete, the more skilled, more well-rounded, and just has more to offer because where Vince Morales only throws hands for the most part. Benito Lopez is throwing flying knees. He's throwing head kicks. He has guillotine chokes, some takedowns. He's attacking off his back with triangle chokes. So I just think Benito Lopez is the better fighter that has more to offer here. So for that reason, and he's also the underdog, I'm going to go with Benito Lopez in this spot. Next up in the women's strawweight division, we got Livia Henata Souza, the Brazilian gangster. She's 13-1, and and she's taking on Brianna Van Buren, who's 8-2. and Currently, they got Brianna Van Buren, minus 130. The comeback on Livia Hinata Souza is plus 110. Well, Shaq, similar to the first fight we just talked about, Livia Hinata Souza opened the favorite. She opened at minus 170. Now she's the underdog at plus 110. Everybody's been coming in on Brianna Van Buren. That's not often you see a plus number next to Livia Hinata Souza's name. Oftentimes, you got to pay a very steep chalk price. So my question here is, again, what's your opinion of the line uh, flip and who you got in this matchup? Yeah, so you know Brianna Van Buren's making her debut against the name that we recognize, Livia Souza. Even though she's only got two fights, she's... You know, she's also very young in her career, coming off that split win over Frota, which was a very tough fight. Frota missed weight by, like, eight pounds. <laughs> and Livia still she still got the job done, man. So uh, that was very impressive. So Brianna Van Buren, I feel like a lot of people are on her because she's new. You know, she's got the Cormier connection. She's, you know, she's she's got those that that uh, that co-sign from Cormier and Pena and Duran Wynn and all these guys. So, you know, I get it, you know, a.k.a. But, you know, sometimes... You know, they can't get in the cage for you. So this is going to be a really interesting fight. Livia, I mean, I feel like we know what Livia brings to the table. She's a basic jujitsu black belt that she's got a lot of tricks up her sleeves with those takedowns, man. You know, if you uh, haven't seen anything on that level, you might you not, you might not be ready for it. I mean, her last fight against Frota, she's definitely outsized in that fight. And, I mean, man, we've seen her fights before, man. She's got some tricks up her sleeves with the sacrifice throws and the... She, she's got some better stand-ups, very basic. It's just the jab overhand, right? And in comparison to 
you know, Brianna Van Buren, it seems like Buren's got some good fundamental southpaw, you know, skills, good double leg. My only question with her is I think those those skills are all great. It's just her competition level in her particular case, I have to bring it up because, I mean, firstly, you know, I feel like she's a lot popular in this spot because of that recent tournament that they had in, in Invicta, you know, where they fought three times in one night. She beat the recognizable names like Colin Curran, but... But guys, I mean, the other day, you know, she was five and two. You know, she fought three times in in one night, and now uh, against Juliana Lima, Manjit Kolekar, who I looked into as a you know a, a lady from India who uh, fought in Super Fight League. And if you guys don't know anything about Super Fight League, uh, just know it's a lot of fucking garbage going on down there and pretty much the indian had never beat anyone with a winning record before uh she had a win over jamie moyle uh prior to that you know who is quite frankly harmless um all ufc rejects juliana lima was a win on her record as well but that was a one-round fight you know so i'm just gonna go ahead and say i think brianna van buren is untested against anyone remotely legit so i think she's got some good skills here i think she's got a good mindset but this is gonna be her first chance to do it against someone someone that uh that's respectable i'm gonna go with the underdog Livia hanata souza i think she's too experienced i think that souza's got some good double legs and some good kicks but i think she has the tendency to get those kicks caught a lot and i think that she's never been on her been uh no one like Livia Hanata Souza has ever been on top of her and I don't think she's ever fought anyone remotely near that skill level so I'm gonna side with the veteran in this matchup I think she's being overvalued in this spot and I think Livia gets a um you know an upset win here yeah man it's like I said earlier it is kind of crazy to see Livia Hanata Souza with that plus money next to her name man it's not often you see that I was impressed with Brianna Van Buren in that tournament but at the same time if you haven't figured out how to go out there and style on Kylan Curran when you can't hold your job in the UFC strawweight division you know where they will let you hang around because you're nice or you know cute like Jamie Moyle couldn't hold her job Juliana Lima couldn't hold her job Kylan Curran couldn't hold her job in the in the Indian I mean like <laughs> she's fought absolutely nobody. I mean, like, Alex Chambers finished Kylan Curran, and we're going to sit here and act like finishing Kylan Curran is some big deal? I, I just don't get it. I mean, I, I respect the girl's technique. Throws big bombs, mixes it up to a big double leg, but it's like, guys, Kylan Curran and Juliana Lima is target practice. <laughs> yeah, not the suit. When you fight Kylan, it's supposed to be a, a showcase. <laughs> like, when you fight Juliana Lima, like, come on. Oh they think because she ran over Kylan that she's just going to come out here and run over Olivia Hanata Souza. I mean, hey, best of luck if she does. Congrats. But I just don't see it going down that way. It's time to take that first UFC L. So I'm going uh, Olivia Hanata Souza to get the victory here. Now, next up in the Bantamweight division, we got Pinguan Lu. He's 15-4. And, and Jonathan Martinez is 10-2. and two. Currently, they got Pinguan Lu, minus 145. The comeback on Jonathan Martinez is plus 125. Well, Shaq, a lot of action coming in on the dog, Jonathan Martinez. He actually opened plus 205, currently plus 125. It's proven to be a really tough out. I mean, the guy is very young, very scrappy, but do you think he has what it takes to beat the Chinese ox, Pinguan Lu? Pinguan Lu, Song Yudong's, uh, his right-hand man. His teammate Song Yudong's coming off that nice KO win, so I'm sure he wants to come out here and keep the keep the momentum up for Team China and uh, Team Alpha Male, man. So Martinez had a, a rough UFC debut, I mean... 
you know, he got he got welcomed quite nicely. Uh, <laughs> and I mean, I, I like that adjustment he made going into his second fight because after his first fight, you could tell he was definitely behind, you know, especially in the Bantamweight division. He's a former flyweight, you know, so he's in that Bantamweight division now. And his second fight against Waligi Buren, that was a good step for him. You know, Waligi, the difference between Waligi and the Pink One is, I don't know if you guys have seen Waligi's past fights, but Waligi likes to give up a lot. Waligi <laughs> <laughs> well, likes to likes to be on his knees. Uh, <laughs> he, he likes to come out dominant for the first three minutes, and then he gives up and every then, time. Uh... <laughs> I mean, if you watch his fights, I mean, he's got an extensive history with doing this. So you know, I feel like I don't want to say Martinez was a beneficiary. He had to go out there and execute one hundred percent. But uh, you know, I still think he's uh, a little behind. You know, a lot of benefits. But now we got he's got more time to train, especially at a gym like Factory X. You know, he's training down there with his boy Gutierrez and uh, you know Devontae Smith and Heinish and these guys. So him being in that environment, I'm sure it's a great opportunity for him. So uh, I'm I'm expecting improvements 100%. The kid's got a good left kick. He's he's a scrapper. You know, he's a, he's a Mexican American. He's coming to fight. You know, so. And this kid, you know, you think you got him hurt, and he, all of a sudden he's still there. So Martinez has a bright future. Now, Ping Wan Lu, I mean, I got a lot of respect for him and Song Yudong. You know, these guys, if you watch their past careers, you know, they have built themselves up to this point. I mean, these guys, they, they've been knocked out, and they've gotten their ass beat before, you know, and, and that's a good thing, you know. They And uh, it happened to them early in their careers, and now they're in the UFC. Ping Wan's 2-0, had two very tough fights against Stasiak and... Uh, and Martin Day, I mean, his fight against Martin Day, you know, you saw his hand get uh get broken in that fight, and he had to he had to stand there, and and he won that third round by dropping Martin Day and controlling him on the on the mat. And that second round went so one sided towards Martin Day, so that was very impressive. It showed Penguin's heart. So we got two guys with a lot of heart in this fight. Skill wise, I think Martinez has a good left kick, but it's it's gonna be hard for Penguin catches a lot of kicks. You know? You know, I feel like Penguin's probably going to catch those kicks and probably get the better of the wrestling, probably move forward. What it's going to come down to is keeping his focus. I think that Martinez is a guy that he's one of these, like, uh, he he reminds me a lot of Cheeto Vera. You know, he's a guy that you just got to make sure you're disciplined the entire time. Or he might come back and knock you out, you know. <laughs> you know, you just got to make sure, you know, you got him controlled because he's in that young stage in his game. He's, he's got a lot of heart. So I think Penguin's the better fighter. It's just that Penguin has the tendency to go a little too hard early and then put himself in these bad spots like the second round against Martin Day, like the second round against Stasiak, and then, you know, it's one-to-one and he kind of has to dig down deep. And this kid Martinez is tough, so I, I, I do feel like it's uh has the possibility to be a closely matched fight, but I just think Pinguan Lu is going to be the aggressor. I think that the Sacramento connection might help out a little bit as well, even though that's kind of bullshit as well, but... uh. I think that Penguin's going to be the aggressor. I think he's going to be moving forward. I think he's going to be landing the harder shots the first two. But I am a little a sketch that he might gas out. Yeah, there's going to be one hell of a fight. These two very aggressive guys, especially uh, Penguin Lu, man. He goes out there very physical for 135 pounds. And he's been very exciting to watch for me, man. I, I like this kid, and I'm very excited to see his development now that he's moved to the United States. And like you mentioned, he's the kind of guy, just like Song Yudong, they paid their dues. They got finished on the regional scene. You watch some of their older fights, and it's like, man, it's like, man, who's this guy? Like, this is the top prospect? you know. And then uh, you see what they've developed into. Man, his evolution has been pretty awesome to watch. And with Jonathan Martinez, 
I like this kid a lot too, you know, very young. And you watch his UFC debut and then the, the subsequent fight against Luigi Burn. And man, he put on size. He's more aggressive. He looked a lot better. But one thing he's got to work on is that takedown defense. And Ping Wan Lu is very relentless. Even though he's only scored one takedown officially inside the octagon, when he gets on the legs, he's going to be relentless. He's going to try to get you to the mat. And with Jonathan Martinez, it doesn't take much. And not, and not only that, once he is on his back, he doesn't often tend to get back up. You know, he'll throw up the triangle, he'll throw up the arm bar, but once you get past that, he's going to stay on his back. So unless Pingwan's out here pulling stunts, going for leg locks like uh, Luigi Burin was, I, I just see uh, Pingwan Lu having the top position for extended periods of time, landing the harder shots on the feet. The one thing he's got to look out for is, like Shaq said, the guy goes so hard that from time to time, he's got to take a break in there because the guy is going to get gassed out, all those muscles. So while he's taking that break, don't let Jonathan Martinez go out there and start to outvolume you a little bit, start to start to throw some kicks, some flying knees. Because Jonathan Martinez got that young, youthful enthusiasm about him. He's not he's not afraid to try a big move and then end up on his back type thing. So when Ping Wan is resting, he's just got to uh, keep his hands up and his chin down, keep circling, and not let Jonathan get off on too many strikes. And if he does that, I think Ping Wan does go out there and win on the scorecard. So I'm going Ping Wan Lu to get this victory here. Next up in the featherweight division, we got Darren the Damage Elkins. He's 24 and 7, and Ryan Hall is 7 and 1. Currently, they got Ryan Hall minus 115, and Darren Elkins is minus 105. So Shaq gets a pick em with a slight lean on Ryan Hall. And man, it's a hell of a fight because you got the damage, the grinder, the man himself, Darren Elkins. He can overcome many things to, to get guys out of there and to will himself to victory. But he's taking on a specialist and a whiz in Ryan Hall. So can Darren Elkins get past Ryan Hall's brilliant leg lock game? Yeah, you know Darren Elkins, he's a legend. Uh, Is he? Yeah, <laughs> he's a mini legend. Like, mini legend. Like, 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 like Lamas, you know? Um, fucking, but yeah, so this fight, well, Hall's gonna be interesting. Hall's coming off that nice win over BJ. You know, Hall's won all his fights for the most part, except against Saul Rogers, who's a, a big, strong wrestler that uh, ended up dropping him, you know, kind of didn't really stay in his guard too much, but just uh, kind of out-positioned him, man. So, you know, we'll see if Elkins can execute execute that game plan. You know, I feel like Ryan Hall's stand-up definitely isn't the best. He definitely makes some mistakes, but I think he can, you know, maneuver at distance with his left kick. He throws a, a spinning kick, you know, not for power or anything, but just to, you know, get his opponent reacting, getting his opponent, you know, thinking about something else. And then all of a sudden he's rolling for that uh, for that leg. And I'll tell you what, I've seen Darren Elkins on that mat. And we know Elkins has the has the reputation for grinding guys and being in that guard and, and, and beating guys up and making them quit. And he, he's definitely done that a lot of times. I mean, that's what he's made, made a career off of. But I'll tell you right now, if he wants to uh, <laughs> lay in Ryan Hall's guard thinking they're about to wear him out or, you know, bully the kid, I think they got another thing coming. I mean, I've seen Elkins in spots, you know, similar to like what Ryan Hall likes to get these guys in against Chas Skelly. And I'm, I'm going to be honest, I mean, Chas Skelly got that leg lock, you know, attempt very easily. Imagine what, uh, and, and, per and personally, you know, he told me he watched the Ryan Hall videos before that fight and, you know, imagine what the real guy does in that spot. You know what I'm saying? So I think that Elkins had a great career, but I, I think that it's going to start in all respect to him. You know, I, I say this respectfully, but I think you're going to start seeing these guys like Elkins, the Lamases of the world, the, the Cub Swansons of the world. I mean, look where they're headed, guys. You know, I, I, I have respect. Crone Gracie's fighting Cub now. You know, Crone's about to. Oh, man. Strangle. 
it's gonna be, <laughs> you know. But uh, but the fact I just think that now you're gonna start seeing those guys fade away. And if you look at Bermuda's Elkins, retired, yeah, Bermuda's retired. You know, I think uh, if you look at Elkins' last two fights, although they were against guys, you know, complete against on a completely different level, like uh, Volkanovski, even Lamas. Um, just look at the damage he, you know, took in those fights. I mean, what, what about the fight he won versus Beckton? Yeah, even the fights that he won, you know, he takes a lot of damage, and and it's a good story. But the the, the division, the one hundred forty five pound division, is changing now. You're seeing guys like, you know, the Sadiq Yusufs, the the uh, the Qatars, the of the world. You know, the the zombies back in the back in the game. These guys have evolved, you know, and Elkins hasn't evolved. So I think it's a good spot for Hall to come in and, and kind of clean house a little bit you know i think that he can come in and just do his thing man i feel like elkins is too slow to to react fast enough to get to to stop that uh imanari role and i also think that elkins just can't help himself but <laughs> to fall in someone's guard i mean elkins just i mean he's a it's elkins bro this is what he does like you think he's coming into a fight and you think elkins can stay disciplined enough <laughs> on the feet for 15 minutes to to i, I don't think so so I think Hall, you know, I think he, I don't want to say he's faster than Elkins, even though he is a little faster than Elkins. So, so you're saying he's faster than Elkins. <laughs> but it's a, it's a debatable topic. That's the point I'm getting at. Like, it's a debatable topic of who, if Elkins, uh, who wins the stand-up exchanges, you know what I'm saying? So I feel like Hall's, you know, got a lot of good things going for him in the spot. You know, some would say um, Elkins is tougher, but... Man, go to go to the fight hall of loss, man. He he, uh, he hung in there, man. He got dropped. He recovered really fast. You know, the guy's got tricks up his sleeve. I think he gets it done in the first round via, you know, vicious heel hook. I, like I said, I don't think Elkins is going to react fast enough. And I think Hall's going to continue along and uh, be be a part of the new featherweight division. He's going to be one of the sub guys, but he's, you know, only going to fight like once a year. You know, he doesn't really need to do this. Yeah, look, this is a... Uh... This is the next logical step up for Ryan Hall. I mean, even though someone's going to laugh and be like, well, Darren Elkins is ranked. He was just fighting BJ Penn and Artem and Gray Maynard. Like, how is Darren Elkins the next logical step up? It's like, I understand that he's ranked, but the reality here is he's only ranked because of a fluke win over Mirsad Bekti. Like, and I'm not disrespecting him. You know, he deserved his, his performance of the night bonus for that. One of the best comebacks in the history of the sport. But those guys run it ten times. Uh, you know, you know, Mirsad's winning that nine times, right? And I mean, he was one minute away from winning at that time too. So it's just one of those situations where after he was trying to pull every like Mirsad was trying to pull every stunt in the book, every stunt possible. <laughs> Look, I just think that Darren Elkins is a very, very tough guy, but he doesn't have what it takes to make the adjustment to come in here with the right game plan, strike with uh with Ryan Hall for three rounds, avoid. The grappling, he's not going to do that. Darren Elkins likes to push you into the fence. He's probably going to be so confident that he wants to take down a guy like Ryan Hall. Because, I mean, look look what happened last time. Look what happened last time Darren Elkins fought a submission specialist, Charles Dubronx Oliveira. Guess what's the first thing Darren Elkins does? He picks him up and slams him. And then uh, he got submitted two seconds later. You know, submission specialist, Dan. And, and I'm now... Gonna, he, I'm going to take a little. Look... He's going to try that shit again. Just watch the Chaskelly fight. Chaskelly was very, very close with that heel hook attempt. And, you know, Chaskelly, like Shaq said, he told us he was watching those Ryan Hall instructional videos. So imagine what actual Ryan Hall is going to do when, when this hits the man. We saw Goto Fredo Pepe reverse, uh, reverse uh, Darren Elkins, Kimura sweep him, and almost leg lock him. So I just think that when the 
when the leg lock whiz gets on those legs, man, it's going to be a wrap. So I'm going, I'm going Ryan Hall here via finish. And if for some reason this goes three rounds, man, I think Ryan Hall can win a decision too. I think that he actually is faster. I think he can move away from Elkins. I think he can kick him. So bottom line, I got Ryan Hall winning this fight. Now next up in the Bantamweight division, we got the return of Juliana, the Venezuelan vixen, Pena. She's 8-3. and three. <laughs> forgot that was... Uh, we got Juliana, the Venezuelan vixen, Pena. She's 8... <laughs> oh my god, that nickname. She's 8-3. and three, And the comeback... Fuck. We got... Okay, let me start this over. Next up in the Bantamweight division, we got Juliana Pena. She's 8-3. and three, And Nico Montano is 4-2. and two. Currently... They got Juliana Pena, minus 200. The comeback on Nico Montano is plus 170. So, Shaq, my question here is, is a minus 200 price tag warranted on the Venezuelan Vixen coming off a three-year layoff and a maternity leave? Venezuelan Vixen. She's back, huh? Uh, man, we didn't know she was going to be back until three weeks ago. You know, she had that baby. I, and to be honest, I thought, you know, she was probably retired. But, you know, I guess she, you know, um, she wants to make her comeback and... Oh, look who came out of hiding. It's Nico. <laughs> I'm glad to see Nico back. You know, firstly, I'm going to go ahead and address. I feel like everyone's just complete opinions on Nico Mantegna are just completely off. And, nah, I'm not getting into the skills. I'll, I'll get into that later. But, look, Dana, the issue is Dana White should have never gave that the winner of that show a championship belt. The winner of that show, the thing is, he was probably expecting, you know, somebody else to win or he was probably thinking that one of those girls. Honchak was the one they all yeah, thought he was thought, He probably thought Honchak. <laughs> a girl that lost to Angela <laughs> McGuire. <laughs> he probably thought someone else was going to win, you know, to just have a, a somewhat respectable champion with a, to start the division off to, to sell and get knocked out against Valentina. Unfortunately, a three and two girl developed and got a lot better and completely shocked the world and, and changed her life. And, you know, to be honest, now you give a three and two girl a fucking championship belt, which in, in the real scheme of things, she does not deserve. She and 100K. And 100K. <laughs> fucking holy shit. Like, <laughs> like. Of course this chick's about to go off on the deep end for a little bit, bro. Like, fucking, her life just got changed in a way where, like, her life got changed overnight. So now I think that Nico Mantegna should have never from been From local viewed scene as, fighter to exactly, UFC champion. from local scene to losing to Julia Avila, who fought last week. You know what I'm saying? Uh, and three and two, you know what I'm saying? And then all of a sudden, like, you know, she was a young fighter. She got better. So Nico, she's just a, she's a prospect. She should be viewed as a prospect making a making a comeback off a off a you know extensive layoff. So yeah, in the championship scheme of things, yeah, she was a joke. But she should, in our eyes, she was never a champion. She shouldn't have been in that spot, and people should take that into consideration. So I'm uh let's stop shitting on my girl Nico, but. This fight with Pena is going to be really good. Pena, you know, she's a part of... Pena was like the original Bantamweight prospect, man. You know, when that division... She was on the very first season of uh, females being on Tough. And, uh, her and Ronda were beefing. You know, her and... Because yeah. she was Misha's best <laughs> yeah, friend. You know, she was Misha's homie, so... You know, the, she's a part of, she could, someone could say she's from the Stone Age of uh, females MMA. She was the original prospect. Her last one was UFC 200 <laughs> against uh, Kat Zangano, who was making her comeback off a fight against Ronda Rousey. You know what I'm saying? Um, so Juliana Lima, 
Penny. Penny, my bad. Uh, she super aggressive. You know, when she was on her run, she would get a lot of takedowns, be the bully. But, you know, technically speaking, let's be honest here, it, it's not very good. You know, she'd pretty much close her eyes, swing, and, you know, either get a takedown. But at the time, I will say, I, I, I do think she was also a beneficiary of, at the time, getting some favorable mashups against moms. And if you really look at this girl's record, we're talking Jessica Ricosi, we're talking... Well, on tough, we'll get we'll get on tough. You know, she fought Gina Mazzani. You know, I, I love Gina, but you know, Shayna Baszler, <laughs> mom, Morass, mom, who she already lost to before, Rakozi, mom, Dudieva, mom, Jessica. I we already know at, at thirty five. We, we don't got to say a, shit about she, she was a losing machine at thirty five. <laughs> <laughs> and Kat Zingano, I mean, look, we we love Kat, but it's over. What has she done since she beat Nunes? Absolutely lost to Megan Anderson. <laughs> She's one and four since she. So, in the real scheme of things, to have this idea that Pena is clear cut better than all these girls is a, is a little mistaken. You know, she was the beneficiary of coming in at the right time. She was the new prospect. That's what the UFC hype machine can do for you. You know, they they slide you in at that right time. So. We'll see what she's really got now. But she's a girl that kind of relies on a lot of intangibles, toughness, mentally just breaking girls like Jessica I, who, like I said at the time, was a mental wreck, and, and Katzengano, who is a complete mess. So, <laughs> like, so this one. <laughs> we love you, Kat. <laughs> and, uh, um, so now, you know, I feel like she's got an inflated resume, in a sense, Juliana Pena, but, uh, and inflated skills. I feel like she's got a good takedowns, but I think that Nico Manteno's takedown defense is on point. I mean, if you watch her fights on Tough, you know, she was coming in there with a 3-2 and two record, and, I mean, she, she handled UFC vets at 3-2. and two. I mean, UFC vets that, you know, if I want to gauge where she really is, I mean, she beat Roxanne Mataferi, who, you know, I see girls like Sajara Eubanks beating. I see... Uh, you know. now, let's just put it this way. I know all you DraftKings players were really happy with Nico Montano's performance against Roxanne Monteferi. You know what I'm talking about. How much money should you put up? Fucking hell of a lot. 100-something. Let's look it up. But anyways, you know, she beat Roxanne Monteferi, who, I, I, who is a top five UFC flyweight, who's I, you know, somewhat relevant. She beat Lauren Murphy, who's ranked inside the top ten, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, and she beat Barb Honchak, who's a former Invicta champion. So somewhere in that time span, Nico Montano improved greatly, and I, I feel like she's probably continuing that. You know, I feel like she just was a young fighter. She's, Nico Montano scored 158 points in her USC debut versus Roxanne Montefiore. That's a fucking lot of fucking points. Yeah, she's a very efficient fighter. She She's just very well-rounded, good in the clinch. Nico Mantegna is very well-rounded. So I feel like this fight's going to come down to if she can stuff these takedowns. And from what I've seen on uh, on film, I, I feel like she can. And, and who's to say that Juliana Pena can still rely on those tangibles? Because the division has changed so much since she's been gone. A lot of things have happened since she's been, uh, since she's been gone. Valentina's... Fought for the belt, lost, went to a new division, got a new belt. Uh, <laughs> you know, the last time she fought... Uh, Travis Brown was on the card. Travis, Travis Brown was on the card. I mean, a lot of things have happened. And we see time and time again, sometimes these people, for example, Matt Wyman coming back off a big layoff, you know, thinking that, you know, that shit's going to be the same. Like, things are going to be completely different. All these girls that you probably used to view, like, can never touch you, have uh, probably passed you up 
up a little bit. And I don't think you were that good to begin with. So I'm going to go with Nico Montano for an upset win. Uh, I feel like she's going to get this done. I feel like Pena's probably going to come out hard here. But she's taking this fight on short notice. Not to say that she's not in shape. She's got a good mindset. Very tough girl. Deep down, she's really not that good. I feel like she relies on a lot of aggression, a lot of will. And I don't, I'm not sure she's going to be able to, to duplicate that again, man, at this stage, you know, after the baby. I've never seen anyone have a baby come back and, and you know, look the same or, or even, you know, have success. You know, the only one I could go back to is Alexis Davis. And, you know, she's about to be on the skid here soon. So I'm not saying that. That's, I'm not putting that on Pena, but I think there's value on Nico Montano on the spot, and I'll take it from him. Yeah, definitely. Look, if you're going to favor Pena because of her past experience, I completely understand. But minus 200, like, let's relax a little bit, you know? Maybe minus 130, you know, something like that. Because back in her day, back around UFC 200, which was the last time she won a fight, guys, I mean, it was very one-dimensional skill set. It was basically kind of like what Kiesa used to be, you know? Take advantage of a mom. You know, <laughs> take advantage of a mom. <laughs> like, no, uh, no stand-up whatsoever, just kind of closes her eyes, throws very ugly strikes, wades into the clinch from there, gets her head and arm throw, and kind of dominates position on top. And, you know, you can do that when you're fighting Milana Dudieva and Jessica Ricosi and Kat Zingano and all these fighters. But I do think Nico Montano, despite the fact that she's only 4-2, and two, I mean, in my, in my eyes, she's 7-2 and two because I saw her go out there and beat up fighters that are currently in the UFC, you know, even though we've always joked about Lauren Murphy. Look, the bottom line is she handled Lauren Murphy exactly how you're supposed to. Very hard body kicks, very hard knees, absolutely destroyed her, broke her in there. In that uh, title-winning effort, I know, again, it's Roxanne Monteferi, this and that. Look, Roxanne Monteferi just went out there and beat a Shevchenko in Russia. So I'm just saying, uh, Nico Montano went out there and put up a serious DraftKings score at 158. And in terms of just regular betting itself, she's plus 170 here at the betting window. She's only coming off, uh, you know, slightly over a year layoff, whereas Juliana Pena, it's been a long time since uh, my girl Juliana's gotten her arm raised. Let's just leave it at that. And I think in this day and age, you got to be well-rounded. Coming off a of maternity leave, you know, she, I'm going to go with Nico Montano here. I feel like it comes down to keeping this fight standing, blasting her with her sharper striking, the kicks, the straight punches, and on the mat, you know, just don't let her dominate position. If she does take you down, get back up, attack off your back, create scrambles with her. She's but, been armbar before. You know, I mean, look, she's been armbar before. As long as Nico Montana doesn't go out here and just give up if she gets taken down right away, I think she's got a very good chance. I think she is a live underdog. And I'm going to pick her to win outright. Next up in the featherweight division, we got Andre Touchy Feely. He's 19-6, and six, and Shaman Morais is 11-3. Currently, they got Shaman Marais minus 115 and Andre Feely is minus 105. So, Shaq, uh, this is going to be one hell of a matchup. You got Shaman Marais, who, by the way, did this camp in Thailand. You already know what kind of power he brings to the table. And Andre Feely, uh, talk about a, a perennial vet, a tough out always. I mean, the guy uh, is very skilled. Do you think Andre Feely has what it takes to, to beat the hard-hitting Shaman Marais? Yeah, this is going to be a great fight. Shaman Marais, definitely a big fan of that guy, especially after his fight against Sadiq Yusuf. That was uh, could have been fight of the night on a lot of other cards. You know, that was a great chess match. Two guys throwing big power inside the pocket. And, you know, not too many times do guys gain stock in a loss, but I feel like Shaman did in that spot. And I, I like how he's going to Thailand. I feel like that's going to address one of the weaknesses in his game is his pacing. And uh, I feel like he actually is getting better with that pacing. You know, his beat fight didn't go his way, and Zabit's just a completely different talent level. And then you got uh, his fight with Sales, in which he did kind of, you know, fade in the late rounds. And then his fight with the uh, Julio Arce, who I got a lot of respect for as well. I mean, the damage 
I mean, Joe Rogan said he's never seen that much blood on the octagon mat ever in his career in that fight. I mean, the type of damage this guy inflicts with those lead elbows. I mean, he's very under the radar with those type of techniques, man. He, he's definitely investful with those uh, those body shots as well. So I, I'm high on a guy like Shaman Marais. I feel like Andre Philly has been around for a long time. Very tough guy. Definitely uh, can is going to hold a spot in the company for a long time. But I also feel like Andre Philly has plateaued out a little bit. I feel like he's reached what he is, you know, I feel like, if anything, you're going to start to see a, a decline, you know, in the next few years, you know, I feel like if he would have hit that top 15, it would have already happened by now, his fight over Miles Dre was a good performance, even though he did get dropped with a spinning back fist in that fight, but, but personally, I'm not going to put that much stock into it, because I truly believe that Miles Jury's head is completely out of it. I think he's done, and I, <laughs> I think he's uh, his days in the UFC are numbered as well. But, uh, you know, I feel like Philly's just the same Philly, man. You know, we know he, what he brings to the table. He's got good kicks. He's got, you know, the the the, the good time double leg, uh, the jabs, the switch dance. Uh, it's Philly, man. He's a tough guy. I feel like in this t particular matchup against Shaman Marais, to really, to really expose, not expose Shaman, but to beat him, you have to make him push a certain type of pace to make him exert energy, just like you know, a lot of, you know, big power striking Brazilians, but I feel like to, to execute that type of game plan, one thing you better have is a good chin, and I feel like Andre Philly has a fairly good chin, I've seen him take a lot of shots, we have seen him knocked out before, but we did see him eat that two of Calvin Qatar, he eats some good shots, but I also feel like in a lot of his fights he plays a game a, a tip and run game and I feel like you know in times where he's had to exchange in the pocket he's left his chin up wide up in the air and fights against Artem Lobov fights against Michael Johnson fights against uh Calvin Qatar like I mentioned earlier even Dennis Bermudez touched him up a little bit I know there was a threat of the takedown in that fight but I'm just saying these guys whenever they get into a real pocket exchange when Philly's not at distance he gets tagged with punches so I think this is a good matchup for Shane and Actually, I feel like Shaman can come out here and, you know, if he continues on the improvements that he's on, I feel like this guy's making small improvements fight to fight. I like the timing. He's actually training at the at the same camp Douglas trained at for his fight against uh, MVP the other day. So I, I'm expecting a, an improved Shaman Marais. I'm not expecting too much of, of an improved Andre Philly. I feel like it's the same thing every fight. He's plateaued out. Eventually, he's going to walk into range of one of those punches a, a little uh, not as focused as he should be. He's going to leave his chin up in the air at some point, and I feel like when Shaman lands, he's going to feel it, and he's going to feel it a lot. <laughs> After that, he will just slowly start to deter. I don't feel like he pushes a pace that can make Shaman exert the uh, amount of energy. Shaman's fought guys with a lot better boxing than him as well like Sadiq Yusuf, uh, I think like Matt, Matt Sales has better boxing than him as well, and I feel like Sales pushes, has more power and pushes a harder... Uh, Zabit's got better boxing yeah, than Andre. better boxing, so this is a good opportunity for Shaman Marais to have somewhat of a coming out party to get his name out there, and I think he gets it by a, a, a vicious knockout win. I think he's going to be one of the first guys to put Philly away in a long time, and uh, I think Shaman gets it done. First of all, Shaman Marais hits like an absolute truck. That's one thing we've noticed, even in his fights that have gone to decision, like that Julio Arce one, the amount of blood on the canvas, just those elbows that he throws, those upward elbows, the downward elbows, and man, his tie clinches on point, heavy knees, and man, what you really got to look out for is that straight, because in that fight with Julio Arce, you know, they're feeling each other out for the first couple seconds, and out of nowhere, when he faints and he throws that straight, he put Julio Arce down, and I think he lands that on Feely, he puts him down as well, and Something I really respect about Shaman Marais is that 
you know, after his great fight with Sodiq Yusuf, which was an, was was a very very good technical display by both fighters, he had to make a decision because it's been a reoccurring theme that in that third round, Shaman Marais does like to pull the old Brazilian stunt. You know, he likes to come out hard those first two rounds and. He goes so damn hard that he has nothing left in that third. And I think that's something that he's addressed now going to Thailand because not only is your striking getting sharper over there in Thailand, but the amount of cardio they make you do, the amount of ab work, the amount of everything. Basically, the conditioning that they have over there in Thailand is second to none. And just uh, just the environment, man. I mean, basically, he's living in like over 100-degree weather. He's training outdoors. It's just a completely different environment where you're completely immersed to the point where you have no option but to be in the best shape of your life or you're not going to hang in a gym like that. So I expect the best Shaman Rice we've ever seen. And with Feely, I respect the guy. He's to stick around in the UFC as long as Andre Feely has, that says a lot, man. The guy is definitely a stud. I mean, he's been in the UFC since 2013. I remember the fight against Jeremy Larson, uh, his UFC debut, put on a show. And to see him come to this point, man, very exciting guy to always be perennial, you know, top 20, top 25 in the featherweight division. One thing you know is Andre Feely is going to test you. And now it's time for Shaman Marais to fight, you know, arguably the biggest name of his career in Sacramento. And as long as, you know, he doesn't get, you know, picked and poked with that jab or maybe Andre Feely mixes in that last minute takedown and, and you know, hangs on. I mean, bro, Shaman Rice has a pretty damn good get-up game, so I just don't see him getting laid on. I don't think what happened against the beat is going to happen here. I think he's made the proper adjustments, and I do think he comes out here and knocks out Andre Feely, but if he doesn't, I think he secures the first two rounds, hangs on in the third, and wins the decision. So I'm going to go Shaman Rice here for the victory. Next up in the light heavyweight division, we got Mike Rodriguez. He's 10-3, and three, and John Alan is 13-5. and five. Currently, they got Mike Rodriguez minus 450. The comeback on John Alon is plus 360. Well, just in case you guys don't know, John Alon got finished by the guy that just got knocked out viciously by Eric Anders. You remember that guy, Mamooch? He finished John Alon. So now my question here is, as a plus 360 underdog on short notice, what kind of chance do you give him against uh, the very athletic, the very tall, the 82-inch reach? Of Mike Rodriguez. It's unfortunate because, you know, I I had a bet on Rodriguez's previous fight against John Vellante, and I, I honestly felt bad for Vellante going in there. <laughs> Vellante didn't feel like the paycheck at, was worth it. At minus 160, you know what I'm saying? I was expecting, a, a, you know, to touch him up with the straight a couple times, and, you know, that'd be that. But uh, now we got Alon, who's, let's be honest here, would not be in the UFC if John... Uh, Valente, you know, didn't pull out. So we know that he lost to Mamooch. So even though he did land some hard shots on Mamooch, who who doesn't land hard shots on Mamooch, um, we know what we know what range caliber fighter he is, and it's not UFC level, unfortunately. <laughs> so you know, I gotta go with Mike Rodriguez in the spot. We know that John Alon is being bought into. To get knocked out. So, Rodriguez, you know, he ran into Clark in his debut, a tough debut. We know Clark has 
developed into, you know, one of the better prospects at 205. And we know that Clark's super explosive and Clark was able to get the takedowns, but it was just a small adjustment that he needed to make. He comes back against Milstead and runs him over right away. So I like the trajectory Rodriguez is on. It's unfortunate we couldn't get the, the Volante, you know, smoking, but we'll take John Alon's head off instead. And Alon, he's a very tough guy. I know he's going to come out here swinging in typical Brazilian fashion. He, they're looking for a war, but at some point he, he will take a big huff and get hit with the straight and, and most likely go down. Mike Rodriguez is, oh, he's always had the raw potential. It was just a matter of taking things seriously and training like a professional because he got to the UFC on basically his talent alone. Not saying the guy's not a hard worker, but what I am saying is that after the Devin Clark fight, then he started having a strength and conditioning program. You understand what I'm saying? So he made it to the UFC without even having a strength and conditioning program. He's going out there flying knee, KOing guys, looking like Yoel Romero on Contender Series. And then the UFC debut and all the stand-up exchanges, he beat Devin Clark. It's just, you know, he got taken down for extended periods of time, got held up against the fence. Damn, did he look better in his next fight against uh, the guy who just retired, Steve Miocic's his buddy. What's his name? Milstead. Against Damn, did he look good against Adam Milstead. He goes out there, floors him right away. Kid gets back up, and then he uh, put him down again. So I think here against John Alon, look, John Alon's definitely, he definitely has a puncher's chance. The guy hits very hard. These are big boys. Anyone can go down. But at the end of the day, I do think the range, the distance, the athleticism, and just the striking arsenal and the diversity that Mike Rodriguez brings to the table is going to be too much for John Alon. And I see him flooring him, whether it's with a straight, whether it's with a knee, an elbow. I see uh, Mike Rodriguez winning via knockout. Next up in the middleweight division, we got Cesar Mutanchi Ferreira. He's 13-7. And, and Marvin the Italian Dream Vittori is 12-3. Currently, they got Marvin Vittori minus 150. The comeback on Cesar Mutanchi is plus 130. Well, Shaq, uh, both these guys are coming back for the first time in 2019. Obviously, Marvin Vittori coming off the USADA suspension. And Cesar Mutanchi is coming off uh, getting beat by Ian Heinish. So now my question is, which guy gets back in the win column? Yeah, it's going to be a really good fight. We know Cesar has the, the wins over Lionheart, over Hermanson, over Mejeda Santo. So we know uh, he, he's definitely on the given day performed well, but we also know he's got uh, a bevy of KO losses, Alvi, Masvidal. Uh, CB? CB. Um, Craig wobbled his ass. Bang Bose <laughs> dropped Bang him. Bang Bose dropped him. Um, Nate, Nate Marquardt dropped him. Elvis Mutopchik. Um, Elvis knocked him out. You know, it seemed like for a while there, Cesar had kind of kind of found himself. You know, it seemed like he had, uh, you know, he had those wins over uh, Bang Bose and. Hanson back to back, you know, submitted Hanson. But you know, I'm not gonna sit here and act like that Jack Hermanson that he fought. And all you know, those guys, you know, Lionheart, Jack Hermanson, you know, they those guys have developed and evolved into those things. You know, when Cesar fought them, they were nothing, you know, like what you see today, you know. That and that's what that's a part of the process, you know. You gotta take those uh, embarrassing L's to to get better. So those guys have evolved and Cesar Pretty much hasn't, you know. I feel like after those fights, he had that fight with Elias, you know, where you would think, you know, this is a good spot for Cesar to, to expose this this ballerina, you know, twirling up and down the place. And, uh, you know, the first round he comes out, touches Elias up a lot with the straight left, but it just seems like he's adopted this style of he likes to sit back and just 
and not engage at all, like not move forward and either just try to touch you up with a straight left or, you know, look for that, you know, his patented blast double and see if he can work his ground game. But it seems like if that doesn't work and you pressure him, that you can definitely expose his deteriorating chin. And, you know, for a second, the, the big thing was Cesar, you know, he finally, he's a... Uh, he figured out his chin problems, you know. Remember when they were singing that tune uh, last year? Around, so he, he's figured out his chin problems, but uh, that's not the case at all. And you know, all it is is you have to pressure him. It's the guys that he beats. You know, Roberson was six and zero at the time when he fought him. You know, Roberson only had six fights. You know, he was coming off a win over Stewart. Quite frankly, he wasn't ready in a spot like that. And one takedown, the fight was over. Or his other fights against Nate Marquardt, in which he won by split decision. I'm, I think that was Nate Marquardt's last fight, if yep, I'm not mistaken. You're correct. Um, and he was cut open and bad. So, and, you know, that fight, you know, was more of the same. So at first, the first round was literally so uneventful that, you know, the, the crowd was booing. They're like, there's not much action. Cesar's backing up. Nate's not engaging. But then, you know, eventually Cesar gets a, a takedown. You know, he does have a good jujitsu, good double legs. But that third round, he showed you a good example of the stunts that this guy will still pull, man. You know, if you come after this guy, he does not respond to damage well. He does get tired. And, you know, he does look look for ways out. I mean, that's just the truth behind it. And then uh, so that he won that fight by split decision. Then he gets the, the Roberson fight, but then he got matched up with Ian the Hurricane Heinish, and uh, he got takedowns in that fight as well. So, you know, Cesar is one of those interesting jiu-jitsu black belts where I feel like, you know, at times he's shown you the great jiu-jitsu that he's capable of, but then at times there's been moments on the mat where, you know, he's got the guy full hooks in, but then he'll pull a stun and get reversed and or slip off. And that's not typical of, you know, the third-degree black belts like Davi Ramos and, and, and Carlos Diego. So my theory is when when there's punches flying, you know, Cesar loses his mind. I mean... So you're saying the black belt goes <laughs> exactly, out the window yeah, when the there's... black belt, when punches are flying, his black belt goes out the window a little bit. So I've seen guys clinch him, have success in the clinch, take him down. Like Ian Heinish took him down in his last fight, went in his guard, perfectly fine, you know... Uh, Cesar was on top of him. I know everyone's not like Ian Heinish, you know what I'm saying? But he can be a little bit bullied. You know, you can make him work and he will gas out. So this fight with Vittori, this, this is make, I kind of want to say this is make or break Vittori, for Vittori, not in terms of getting cut or anything, but just in terms of where this uh, where his career is going to turn out. This fight kind of reminds me of a spot, even though the lines are different, kind of like Grasso and Carolina. This is a tailor-made spot for, for Vittori because you got the guy, Cesar Ferrer, who's had all these knockout losses. He's 34, 35 years old. He's coming off a fight where he took a lot of damage. Now you got Vittori who, let's not forget, this guy came into the UFC at 22 years old into the middleweight division fighting guys like Carlos Jr., uh, Omar Yakhmedov, uh Israel, Israel Adesanya, Adesanya <laughs> former champion, 22 former. years old. Uh, I mean, current champion, my bad. Um, 22 years old, got thrown into the fire. He, you know, he won some fights, but the guy was so young, man, especially fighting these grown. Like, he's in a division where he's fighting, like, real grown men. And he, and he was basically relying on talent. You know, he's had this one year off. This is a perfect time for him to have a kind of a coming out party as well and put this you know, old fading Brazilian, you know, to the side. And Vittori's got all the makeup to do this. Vittori likes to come out very hard with the pressure. So I know he is willing to pressure Cesar Matanchi Ferreira. Another thing I like in this matchup is his southpaw versus southpaw. So I feel like for Cesar to get his blast double, it's going to, the angle of it is going to be really, uh, really 
you know, a little more difficult than it would against an orthodox guy. Um, and I also think that Vittori's got a lot of time to just chill and relax with this year off. You know, he was beefing with Israel hard. You know, he kind of got drained by that. He's fighting guys like Omari Akhmedov. And, you know, someone would be like, it's only Omari Akhmedov. He went to draw with him. But the thing I like about him in the Israel and the Omari fight is he turned it up in the third round. And that's what you need against a guy like Cesar Ferreira who gasses out in the late rounds. He dominated Israel in that third round. He dominated Omari in that third round. And if he finally just gets some time to chill, you know, get his head together, I think he comes back. I think he has the performance of his career. And I, and I think he, you know, bullies Cesar Mutanchi Ferreira around the octagon. I think that Cesar's best days are behind him. I think it's a good spot for Marvin to, to cement his spot in the, in the middleweight division. And, and uh, I think he gets this one here. Look, Cesar Mutanchi has had an incredible run. And he's a guy where he's taken his losses and he's had to come back and reinvent himself. And basically his best weapons, obviously, his blast double is unbelievable. And uh, his submissions, you know, you, you saw that guillotine he had on Tiago Maheda Santos. You saw the arm triangle he hit on not just Jack Hermanson, but also Carl Roberson. So the guy definitely has some skills. The biggest issue here, in my opinion, for Cesar Mutanchi is how many times can you come back and reinvent yourself? Because at some point, not only does the motivation have to wane, but the durability was already questionable to begin with. So now you're telling me he's going to come back and climb the ladder again? You know, I just don't see it going down like that. And with Marvin Vittori, one thing about him that there's a big difference between these two is the durability. You know, this guy, Marvin Vittori, there's a reason uh, Israel called him a blockhead because he's the kind of guy where you hit him with your hardest shot and instead of hurting him, you break your hand. You know, he's one of those guys, whereas Cesar Mutanchi, he's got what we refer to as a paper mache chin. You know, you hit this guy with your hardest shot and... uh you know what I'm saying? The guy's head is in the fifth row. So I do think that this is a spot where Marvin Vittori can come out here in that southpaw stance, blast that left body kick, stuff the takedowns, and learn from his mistakes from that shoe face fight. You know, in that second round against shoe face, he did have a moment where he was able, where he was almost able to get the TKO. Unfortunately, didn't. Comes out and loses the third round. It was one-to-one going into the third. Now he's a little bit older. He's had some time off. He's learned from his mistakes. I think this time he writes the wrong. He goes out there and gets the biggest win of his career. So I am picking him to win via knockout, but I also think that if if this does hit the scorecards, that he can win as well. So I'm going to go with Marvin Vittori. Now next up in the middleweight division, we got Carl Roberson. He's 7-2, and and Wellington Terman is 15-2. and Currently, they got Carl Roberson, minus 220. The comeback on Wellington Terman is plus 180. Well, Shaq, uh, Carl Roberson, back at uh, middleweight. You know, he never officially moved to light heavyweight. He just took a short-notice fight. It was a big opportunity against Glover Teixeira. But now, uh, How much did he get paid for that real quick, Shaq? That's a good question. He got paid 14 and 14, so it wasn't like he... Uh, was out here, you know, getting some big, uh, some big money to take Couldn't that glove. Pay him extra to take a fight up a weight class. On short notice, but I guess he got he got rewarded with a, a newcomer. Uh, allegedly getting rewarded, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But uh, getting rewarded. So, man, what do you think? Because are they trying to are they trying to blackball? Or I'm just kidding. Because <laughs> my boy Roberson. He's got half the half the experience that this newcomer has, but he's got the more UFC experience. So, who you got, man? You got uh, the Brazilian, or you got Roberson? Yeah, it's a good point. You know, this guy's got more fights, but Roberson's been in the big been in the big show. Roberson is a, a case of being rushed. Roberson came in with this, you know, alleged glory striker hype, and 
you know, he had the win over Stewart. Then they put him in there with Cesar, who we already just reeled off his win list at 6-0, six, oh, six fights. And, uh, you know, he won that, got a, a nice win over Marshman. And the performance against Marshman was good. But, you know, if you watch that fight, you can still tell he still got some work to do. And his athleticism, the power he displays from time to time gets the, you know, everyone's head so on, you know, you know, they see the potential for what could possibly be. But right now, currently, he's still a developing fighter with only nine fights. And Glover fight, I'm really not going to put, I mean, I have to put a little bit stock into it just because this Wellington kid does have submissions. But uh, in the real scheme of things, man, he should, he should know him and Glover to share should never be locked in a cage when he's seven and one. So I think it's a little bit of poor management, you know, from his managers and, the fact that uh, he's still green, man. He's still learning. He's still learning the ground game part. And I feel like Roberson just needs more fights, honestly. He needs more time. So now he's he got a newcomer. This kid, Wellington Thurman, you know, I really wasn't impressed up until his last couple of fights. You know, his last couple of fights, it seems like, you know, but, you know, the reason why I wasn't impressed is because the kids currently, he's 22, but when I was watching those fights from three, four years ago, you know, the kid was 18, 17 fighting these grown men. Of course, he was struggling a little bit, but the fact, you know, he won most of those fights and this kid, he's going places, man. So I think Wellington's got good stand up. He definitely likes to rush in a little bit with his chin up in the air at, at times, but man. He's got good boxing, good left hooks, and his jiu-jitsu is definitely better than Roberson's. Roberson possibly might have a tough fight on his hands this week, man. This kid's only 22 years old. I can only imagine. I mean, if y'all don't want to see, he fought a UFC vet, Marcio Lioto. And, I mean, he uh, he ran over Marcio Lioto in a way that was very brutal, man. This kid's very good. Just comes with forward pressure. He, he's ready for a war. Experience for 22 years old, man. So... I feel like Roberson possibly has a, a tough fight on his hands. I think there is value on Wellington from a betting perspective, to be honest. It's just that he's never been on this level. He's 22. I'm sure he's going to be with wide eyes this week, seeing guys like Faber and, you know. Um, Faber. So, that's about it. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's about it. Um Maybe take a picture with Jermaine or something, you know, but fucking, I mean, you ain't taking one of us. What about former UFC champ Nico Montano? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, you know, but just the whole, the whole vibe, you know, he is young, but man, the guy's got a lot of fights, so it could be a recipe for, you know, a little, a little fishiness, you know, what I like to call it, but. I wouldn't be shocked if Wellington got it, but I'm going to go with the UFC experience. I think Roberson's going to land that counter left hand, just land the harder shots. But I think Wellington's going to have a good showing and, and uh, show come back better for his second fight, you know? Yeah, very interesting fight, man, because obviously Carl Roberson, the guy, he's proven a lot in a very short career, man. I mean, for only having nine pro fights, already went out there, knocked Ryan Span out in 15 seconds. The Darren Stewart fight, Darren Stewart's usually a tough out. Carl Roberson got him out in the first round and obviously went out there and uh, gave Jack Marshman a tour of the octagon. I mean, didn't do it as impressively as my boy Edmund Shabazian, not even close, but still 30-27, maybe 30-26, went out there, gave him that old tour. Now it's time to welcome Wellington Terman to the UFC's octagon. And interestingly enough, I actually thought the John Phillips fight was a better matchup stylistically for Carl Roberson because John Phillips wasn't going to come out here and attack, uh, you know, with takedowns. He wasn't a threat on the mat whatsoever. Wellington Terman is. Look, this kid, you know, only 22 years old. You expect him to make improvements every single fight. He's well-rounded. Obviously, he hits very hard on the feet. He can take it to the mat and submit you there. And 
man, on the feet, I do think that Carl Roberson's going to be able to dictate that distance, the range, very nice straight left. But man, at some point, Wellington Terman is going to get this to the mat. And Carl Roberson hasn't looked like, you know, he, he doesn't seem like the he doesn't strike me as the kind of guy that, you know, likes to put on the gi. He said he's been training. Oh, he's, he's been, he's, he, I just saw a video today. He brushed been, off the gi no, after those last submission losses. Just, so you're telling me Carl Roberson's not on the Curtis Melender uh, no, ground no. game plan? No. I think he was, though. Okay, so he was on that Curtis Melender uh, like, jiu-jitsu program. I mean, these guys think that, you know, you take him down and submit them. Oh, he didn't want to fight me. You know what I'm saying? So as long as Carl Roberson is getting away from that mindset, you know, he's putting that gi on, he's training some jiu-jitsu, I do think that he's going to be making big improvements. But, man, I actually like this kid coming in on short notice. Normally I like to fade the guys on short notice, but a fighter going to jiu-jitsu is kind of like ass backwards it's kind of, it's kind of hard we like to stay in the banks we have to reel it in and really have to concentrate and evolve so that's why I, I took the time to evolve and really concentrate on my aspects I had to force myself to learn to love it yeah. that's what I really said. don't like it but I love it man well that's good to hear so look Carl Roberson he's been Apparently taking it seriously since his last fight, but man, is there enough time to close that gap? Because I do think that Terman is the better fighter here on the mat, and at some point, I do think that this fight will hit the mat. So the question is, has Roberson made enough improvements to you know scramble back up to his feet, keep it in his realm, and go out there and get that win? Man, it's a really tough one to say, so... Even though Carl Roberson could go out here, give him that vet lesson, even though he's not the vet in this spot, but he is the UFC vet... Give him, give him that tour, or, uh, man, I'm going to go with the upset here, man. The fact that I'm struggling on a plus 220, uh, I'm going to go with the upset. I think he chokes out Carl Roberson. Now, next up in the featherweight division, we got Josh Emmett. He's 14-2, and two, and Mirsad Bektik is 13-1. and one. Currently, they got Mirsad Bektik, minus 160. The comeback on Josh Emmett is plus 140. Well, man, two of... Two of the top prospects, now contenders in the featherweight division. Uh, you got the very powerful wrestler, Mirsad Bektik, versus the guy with uh, some of the best knockout power in the featherweight division, Josh Emmett. Who you got? Before his last fight, I remember people were saying his knockout power was overrated. and uh... The man that said that... Uh... <laughs> The man that said that uh, was had, looking up at the lights. They had to bring out the smelling salts. <laughs> man, this fight with Emmett is going to be really good. You know, I, I've been high on Mursad for a while now. I feel like Mursad, honestly, before his last fight, I said I feel like this guy could do anything in the cage that he wants. He's that talented, that strong, that powerful, that good a wrestler, that good a boxer. The thing with Mursad is he's a case of it's too good to be true. You know, he's got all these feel good attributes, but... You know, there's got to be one bad thing. You know, there's a catch. He's a major stunt puller. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And uh, as in stunt pulling, Mursad is, his stunt pulling is he likes to wrestle a little bit too much. You know, at times where he could be on the feet, work, you know, a little bit, stay composed. Seems like he just has to be in on a double leg. And he gets most of them because he's so strong. At times he overexerts himself, gets a little tired. Then in the third round, like we saw in the Lamas fight, he's on all fours, getting his head pounded in. And you start to say, Mursat, you know, can, can you... Can you please stop, you know, with the games a little bit? You're a hundred times better than him. Um, and, and that's something he does a lot. So this is the same case. You know, I feel like Mursad's the better fighter than Emmett. You know, pretty much all across the board, I, I think he's that 
just super talented, it's going to be really hard to bully a guy like Josh with the takedowns, you know. He might take him down a couple times. It's just a matter of Emmett. I also have a lot of respect for him. I feel like he's an underrated punching power guy. You know, I feel like this guy, ever since I saw his knockout of Christos Di Giagos, you know, I instantly became a fan of this guy. And that's because, to be honest, I haven't seen chicken dances dished out like that in the 45 division. Like, I will go ahead and admit the other parts of his game are just about average. You know, he's a, a solid wrestler, decent in the clinch, you know. Uh, but it's just that power is his trademark. And, I mean, if you guys haven't seen that Christos Giagos chicken dance I'm talking about, I mean, Christos was literally stumbling all over the cage. He ended up getting knocked out. He dropped him two or three times. But Emmett has vicious, vicious power in his hands. But what that generally means is if it goes to the scorecards like his last fight, you know, where it looked like he was about to lose a decision until he got that knockout, so it seems like if this fight goes to scorecards, Mursad's gonna win. Seems like if Emmett hits Mursad in that, you know, in his stunt, uh, in his stunt pulling stage, he could kind of classify Mursad as a as a muscly Brazilian because he he likes to pull those stunts in the third round as well. He might get knocked out here because Emmett is a guy he only needs one good one good shot on that chin, man. I, I actually do believe in his power to that extent, and he and he's pulling off these knockouts not only in the first round but also in the third round. So we know that this guy's got a pun a puncher's chance for. 15 minutes from a betting perspective i think it's emmett or pass and you know i know there's a lot of sharp people on them you know i feel like they, they think emmett at some point will clip him behind the mirrors and, and get him out of there and i think that's a good chase but i think mersad's the better fighter so i have to pick him but from a betting perspective it's definitely emmett and i, and I respect him man if uh you know go to his instagram he's got this mastermind supplement you know uh, i don't know why i'm giving them a you know free promo but He's been taking this supplement that allegedly enhances your mind. So, you know, allegedly Mursad Bektik is, is already knocked out. <laughs> <laughs> Look, this, this is one of those cases where it's going to be interesting to see a guy like Mursad Bektik go out there and out-wrestle another wrestler. You know, he loves He's doing that. And, and the thing with Mursad is he exaggerates so much. I mean... He'll be teeing, teeing off on you on the you feet. You don't have to take him down. <laughs> but he just has to go in there and shoot, man. And and his takedowns is not just a typical double leg or single leg. He's got to pick you up. He's got to run to the center of the octagon. He's got to slam you. He's got to put on a show. You get back up. He's not going to disengage and you know, take 30 seconds to take a little breather. He's going to be right back on your legs again trying to take you down over and over. And it doesn't matter if he's breathing hard or not. He's just so relentless with his wrestling. And, uh... Some guys will make him pay. I mean, it's kind of interesting that it was Darren Elkins of all people, but at the same time, it was first UFC L time. Everybody's got to take that first L. But since that point, you know, he has come back, did get the big win over Lamas. Speaking of a big win over Lamas, you know Emmett knocked Lamas into the, into the 10th row. He's, I already knocked out Lamas. You know, he softened that chin for Mirsad, and Mirsad still didn't get him out of there. And then uh, he fed him to Calvin. Calvin took care of him, so... It is kind of interesting, but that's not because Mirsad, you know, can't bang or this or that. It's because Mirsad's so hell-bent on that takedown to the point where you put you give him paper mache chin llamas, and you know what I'm saying, and he's still going to try to wrestle him. So he's going to come out here and try to wrestle Josh Emmett, and there's a very good chance that he's able to do that. We have seen Josh Emmett get taken down before in the Scott Holtzman fight, even though he took down Scott Holtzman more times than Scotty took him down. I'm just saying... This isn't a guy with 100% takedown defense is what I'm trying to get at, despite his wrestling background. So, Mirsad is probably the better athlete here. 
If this hits the scorecards, I got Mirsa, but man, somewhere along the way, there is that chance that he does go down. I mean, he obviously got knocked out by Darren Elkins. Low-key got knocked out by Chas Kelly. Go watch that fight. And uh, has been rocked on other occasions as well. So, I mean, Emmett, it only takes one with this guy at 145 pounds. At 155 pounds, it was a different story. But at 145 pounds, I mean, let, let, let's, let's just be honest about this real quick. Josh Emmett has an 100% knockdown rate at 145 pounds. Makes his featherweight debut against Felipe Sardinejo Aranches and sets the record for most knockdowns in a single round. Next fight goes in there, knocks Ricardo Lamas into the fifth dimension. Next fight goes in there, and even though he got knocked out by Jeremy Stevens in the first round, he dropped Jeremy Stevens. And then the next fight, uh, you know, I know Michael Johnson might not remember, but you guys do. He knocked Michael Johnson's head into the 10th row. So if he hits Mirsad right, you know, behind the ear, on that chin, even on the temple, the fight's going to be over. But the thing here is that Michael Johnson, you know, he was allegedly up on the scorecards. He could have ran away for that last minute. He decided to stand and bang with Emmett. You stand and bang with Emmett. Chances are at 145 pounds, you're going to get laid out. thing is, you don't like, another thing is, how does Michael Johnson know he's up on the scorecards in there? You know what I'm saying? I kind of, I was just saying that like, but like it's kind of reminds me of like zombie and Yair like like people were saying you know Yair I mean uh, zombie pulled a stunt because he went in there and swung in the last 10 seconds but I mean yeah zombie was probably winning but it wasn't a for short thing like you know what I'm saying like in his mind it's, he's probably thinking it's like a close fight you know what I'm saying like yeah <laughs> I mean his coaches were like, like stay technical stay yeah, calm like, but in his mind he's like and he's trading. Know, uh, I've been getting fucking tagged the whole fight. He's bro. trading overhand lefts, <laughs> right hooks with Josh yeah, Emmett. You know so I mean, look for Mirsad. The thing with him is that he doesn't really go out there and trade unless he has to. You know, if, he, if you put Pepe in there in front of him, he will test his stand up. But he didn't even want to test his stand up against Lamas, so I really don't think he's going to want to test it here against Emmett either, man. So I'm, I will go with Mirsad Bektik via decision here. I think as long as he doesn't get touched on his chin, he was pro he's probably going to wrestle Emmett here. So. But yeah, look, if you guys think that Emmett goes out there and does touch that chin, then, you know, do take that shot. I understand where you're coming from because that is what this fight boils down to, in my opinion. But long-term battle, I'm going Mirsad Bektik. Co-main event of the evening in the Bantamweight division, we got the return of the UFC Hall of Famer, the former WEC featherweight champion, Uriah the California Kid Faber. He's 34-10, and 10, and he's taking on the hot prospect, the former LFA Bantamweight champion, Ricky Simone. And now he's got the biggest fight of his career here against the legend Faber. So, man, my, my question is, can Faber turn back the clock one last time, go out there, drop this kid, and tap him out? Turn back the clock for one last When was the first okay. but uh, <laughs> When was the first time? But, uh, you know, when Faber. was the first time? Francisco Rivera. Oh, the last time. Caceres. <laughs> that, 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 that he finished the, someone? When was the first time that he turned back the clock? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Faber ain't been turning back shit, but not. <laughs> um, yeah, man, I got Ricky in this fight, man. I got a lot of respect to Faber, but this kind of reminds me of a Matt Wyman situation, but just a little more, you know, high profile. You know, I feel like Faber is coming back for his 160, it's his 200, and, you know. He just had a baby, you know. He, Wants a fat payday, you know. It's probably not coming fast, you know, as much as he wants. But I mean, look, he's, he's it, people have definitely come off longer layoffs. But uh, 
even when he was fighting, he was already on the decline. Remember his fight against Frankie Signs where those calf kicks had him hobbling on one leg and he was, from what I remember, that third round he was huffing and puffing and begging Frankie not to take his life, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Um, and then, uh, you know, besides that, man, he, he went in there in his, re his trilogy fight with Cruz and got absolutely dominated, came back against, you know, Jimmy Rivera, got 30-27 in that fight as well, showed that, you know, he can't keep up with these young guys, and they gave him a opportunity to retire in his hometown against uh, Brad Pickett. You know, they had a great moment for you. They put you up on the TV or in the Hall of Fame, you know. I don't know if he didn't manage his money correctly. I, I don't know what it is. I I just don't see why he's coming back. But maybe he just got the hunger to compete. Maybe he just wants to be on the card with Emmett and, you know, Philly and his, and his little homies. And uh, for, by all means, you know, go ahead and go for a favor. But I, I think he's about to look. The Bantamweight division has changed. You know, I know these guys that Ricky's been in there with, you know, not too many people necessarily know about the Marab, the Vilas, Villies, and the, and the Montels. But... Guys, I hate to break it to you. Unfortunately, if those guys fought Faber today, I mean, you put Marab in there with Faber today, I mean, he's Marab's going to put a pace on him that, you know, his body simply can't keep up with. And uh, then Montel Jackson, I'm super high on that guy. I think uh, he's going to be in the top 15 too. And I just think the division's changed. I think Ricky's pretty much a younger version of Faber. You know, I feel like he just does everything Faber used to do at a better rate and he's younger, more durable. He's just going to be the fresher guy. Faber might make it three rounds just because, you know, Ricky's got more of a grimy wrestling style, but I think he's going to come out hard in the grappling. After the, you know, first few grappling exchanges, I feel like Faber's going to get tired and just be a step behind, and Ricky's going to get off on that uh that left foot to the body, left foot to the head, you know, do his thing and stand up. Yeah, definitely isn't the best, but I mean, the guy is so grimy with the wrestling. I think that uh he can he can definitely get the better of that and, and just outwork him, be the younger guy, be the, the guy with the you know, that hasn't taken this much damage, the guy that's been fighting frequently and not the guy who's coming back, you know, for this 200K. So I got to go at Ricky here by 30-26. Hey, look, Ricky, Simona, and Uriah Faber have very similar styles. The one big difference is Simona is 26 and Faber is 40. I see Simone outgunning the legend for as long as this fight lasts. I mean, they come from two different eras of the Bantamweight division. Much respect to Uriah Faber. He's a legend in the sport. He's a guy that put the little guys on the map. And back in his day, I mean, he beat everyone except the champs. I mean, you know the deal there. So now it's a case where coming into this new era of the featherweight division, you know, this ain't Brad Pickett, Frankie Sines, Francisco Rivera, Michael McDonald, Scott Eddie Jorgensen, Wineland. Eddie Wineland, all these guys. The guys now. The guys Ricky Simone's been beating since Faber's been gone. We're talking Marab Devalishvili. We're talking Montel Jackson. You understand what I'm saying? So. Now, uh, coming out here against Uriah Faber, I mean, this is going to be a showcase fight. This is going to be the biggest win of Ricky Simone's career. Basically, he just has to not come out here and be too arrogant. Don't be so cocky that you get caught by the legend. But honestly, I see it being, you know, like a little man's version of Gil Melendez and Arnold Allen. You know, he's going to go out there. The guy who, you know, people were saying, Arnold Allen, who's he fought? Gilbert Melendez. Yeah, he's been losing, but he's been losing to the best guys. They were saying, you know, shit like that. Yeah, it's the same story here, guys. So... The new school will beat the old school in this spot, and uh, probably by decision. Look, Uriah Faber is a very, very tough guy, but at the same time, man, one thing I want to point out is that Uriah Faber was always known for his durability, but his last few fights, man, he was getting dropped uh, on the reg, man. Dominic Cruz dropped him. Dominic Cruz is not a guy that's known for his knockout power, and Brad Pickett dropped him as well in, in his retirement fight. 
Well, now he's coming back. So I actually won't be surprised if Ricky Simone goes out there and finishes him because there is a chance. I mean, Uriah Faber said on Joe Rogan's show that the last two years in terms of his fights and his practices, he's been getting rocked more and that his durability isn't the same. He acknowledged that. So now coming back, you know, I, I just uh, I love Uriah. I hope, I hope it's not too hard to watch. But, man, I, I am going Ricky Simone here. I think he dominantly wins this fight. Main event of the evening in the Bantamweight division. We got Aspen Latch. He's 8-0. And the former featherweight champion, Jermaine Durand and me, is 8-3. Currently, they got Aspen Ladd minus 160. The comeback on Jermaine Durand and me is plus 140. Well, Shaq, this is a classic striker versus grappler matchup in the main event. The winner is most likely going to challenge Amanda Nunes for her Bantamweight title. You going with Aspen Ladd to ground out Jermaine Durand and me, or do you think Jermaine can keep this one standing and potentially knock out Aspen? Yeah, it's going to be a good fight. You know, Aspen's the ground specialist, Jermaine. 48-0 Muay Thai world champion with, like, I don't know how many knockouts. Jermaine's come a long way, I'll tell you what. In her early career, man, she's developed that takedown defense to a point where she hasn't been taken down, I think, in the last, you know, 20-something shots people have shot in and no one's gotten her down. And that's very impressive. Coming from uh, what she used to come from in Aspen, we know what type of, you know, ground game she's working with. She's pretty much smashed everyone on the ground. It's definitely a big difference between Jermaine Duran and me and Lena Landsberg, Tanya Evinger, and Sajara Eubanks. All three of those girls are nice ladies, but none of those can hold Jermaine's jockstrap and anything, you know what I'm saying? So I think this is definitely a big step up, but Aspen's got a good mindset. She's definitely very focused, not, you know, she's not going to let these, uh, the typical young prospect thing get to her. So it could definitely be a prime spot for her to come get a win. And that's definitely, it seems like, what they're trying to do, give her this main event spot in her home state of California. Man, it's going to be a good fight, you know, because if you look at uh, Aspen's, when you watch Aspen's fights, the one thing you'd say is, you know, she just moves forward and when they get into a grappling exchange. But a lot of those times, the girls kind of initiate initiate the grappling exchange, you know, like Tanya Evinger, like uh, Lena Landsberg. You know, they come with those clinch-heavy game plans. And Sajara Eubanks also initiated the grappling by taking her down and just engaging in a battle that, you know, she started a battle that, you know, Aspen was better than her at. So I feel like it's going to be a big fundamental difference in this fight because one thing Jermaine has over all three of those is discipline and just caliber fighter. You know, Jermaine Duranemi can come with a game plan of backing herself into the fence and just being ready to stuff against the fence and not in the middle. And I'll tell you what, some people are saying it's a mismatch on the ground, uh, on the mat, and that could definitely be the case, but I think it's a mismatch on the feet as well. I think that if Aspen stands in front of Jermaine for any extended period of time, one of those straight rights is going to take her head completely off. And she's a tough girl, but she's never, ever been hit like that. And I think this is one of the rare cases where all the public is betting on Jermaine because you have a former UFC world champion at Dog Money, and it definitely makes the most sense. And generally, I'd be a little skeptical, but I actually think they're going to be right this time. I think that Aspen has a very bright future ahead of her, a lot of great fights. But I think people consistently sleep on Jermaine Duran and me too many times. She's been the underdog to girls in the past where, like Pachecho that you saw on... Uh, on uh, Went on PFL tonight. You know, she's been the underdog to Holly Holm and Pachecho and all these girls after the Bell thing and the all this, uh, all the, and the cyborg thing. But I think the reality is, Kerr, Nunes, just skill wise, you know, 
are just completely on a different level than all these other girls in the 135 pound division. I mean, I don't see girls like that moving. I don't see girls moving like Jermaine and Holly. Uh, not Holly, but uh, Amanda in this division. I think Aspen Ladd, like I said, bright future ahead of her, but I think she takes her first stumbling block. Like you saw in that Sajara Eubanks fight. After they, uh, you know, would be on the ground, I mean, Sajara Eubanks is a black belt. She definitely got back up to the feet, but when they did get back up to the feet, she got off on five, six punch combinations that Aspen uh, ended up with her, her butt on the mat, you know, at the end of the rounds. And that was one of the closer 30-26s I've ever, I've ever seen. So I think that Jermaine can definitely get off that with just more composure, more discipline, picking her shots a little better, making sure she doesn't make these mistakes like these young, inexperienced fighters that Aspen's been fighting have done. So I, I got to go with Jermaine Duran me first. Still the upset. I mean, all these people are bending on her, but uh, still plus 140. So... I think that Jermaine gets it done by knockout, actually. I think that, like I said, if Aspen stands in front of Jermaine for any, I think in this particular case, I think the last fight with Rocky was just a little warm-up after a layout, but I think she's coming in to prove a point this time. I think people have been shitting on her too much, and I think she's coming to to, to prove a point, and I think Aspen Ladd, unfortunately, is going to feel the wrath of that. All right, you make some very good points. Uh, on the feet, this is a mismatch, and Aspen Ladd will be in big trouble if she stays at distance for extended periods of time, but the thing here is that Aspen Ladd, when she has her most success on the feet, obviously she's got to be super close to Jermaine Duran. I mean, you got to keep her up against the fence. And Jermaine Duran, I mean, actually does have very underrated takedown defense up against the fence specifically. Now, one thing is, you know, and shout out to my boy uh, CRG on uh, on Twitter. He mentioned how Jermaine Duranamy hasn't given up a takedown since the Amanda Nunes fight in 2013. This is true. This is definitely that's definitely a very true fact that I cannot debate. However, another fact that we can't debate is that her fights after Amanda Nunes were Larissa Pacheco, Anna Elmos, Holly Holm, and Raquel Pennington. So I'm not surprised that she didn't get taken down in her subsequent fights. And here with Aspen Ladd, look, she's got to come out here and know right off the bat that this isn't the type of fight where you can go out there and test your stand-up. You got to close that distance right away. And even if you can't get that initial takedown, you got to keep reshooting because, you know, she might be able to stuff the first five, but can she stuff that sixth takedown? And on that one, when Aspen Ladd gets on top of Jermaine Durandamy, that's my biggest question, man, because I know Jermaine can stuff against the fence, but what I don't know is off her back what's going to happen there. And in the past, it hasn't looked the best off her back. While I do agree that there is a chance that Jermaine can snipe her pretty quick, you know, catch her trying to close that distance, at some point in these 25 minutes, I do think that Aspen clasps her hands around the butt of Jermaine Duranmi, picks her up, slams her to the mat, passes, gets the full mount, and from there, I think the fight will be over shortly after. So even though she's the favorite, I feel like I'm on the minority opinion of uh, most of most of the gamblers that, that I've seen, at least online. But if you actually look at uh, the percentage of the tickets, most of the tickets, despite the line being in Aspen's favorite, most of the tickets are on Jermaine Durandamy in the spot, interestingly enough. So I can't wait to see how it plays out. But official pick is Aspen Lad TKO. Hey guys, Dan here. Just wanted to remind you that my bets and Shaq's bets are available at bestfightpicks.com. As you know right now, been having an amazing year in 2019. I'm currently up 20 units with a 34% ROI. Shaq's up 24 units with a 44% ROI. And right now we're running a promotion on Shaq's picks. Get 10% off Shaq's individual package by using the promo code Shaq at bestfightpicks.com. Shaq currently has the best ROI out of anybody 
in 2019 at 44%. Let me know who else has a 44% ROI in 2019. And this isn't just, you know, a one month or two month sample size where, you know, you make a couple lucky plays and you got the big ROI, you tell all your friends. Guys, we're in July. You know, it's about to be August next month. This guy has a 44% ROI. So go to bestfightpicks.com, use the promo code Shaq for Shaq's individual plays and get 10% off. Bestfightpicks.com. Well, Shaq, now we got to talk about the fight to watch and the fighter to watch. So what is the fight to watch for UFC Sacramento? My fight to watch is going to be Andre Feely versus Shaman Rice. You know, I'm looking forward to that fight. Like I said, I feel like possibly it could be a coming out party for Shaman. And this fight is in Sacramento on Feely's turf. So I already know the crowd's definitely going to be a little rowdy. And it's my fight to watch. I think there's going to be some big exchanges going. And I want to see if... Feely can execute the game plan necessary to be Shaman, or if Shaman is going to be one of the first guys to KO him in a while. Yeah, I mean, anytime Shaman Marais fights, I'll be tuning in and match that up with the fact that he's taking on the always tough out Andre Feely. Sign me up. For me, my fight to watch is Josh Emmett versus Mirsai Bektik. I mean, not only does Josh Emmett have the Sacramento crowd behind them, but he's taking on another top featherweight prospect in Mirsai Bektik. And you know for a fact that both these guys are super hungry to not just go out there and get a win, but both these guys want their opportunity to fight for that UFC featherweight title at some point in their career. So for that reason... Josh Emmett versus Mirsad Bektik is my fight to watch. Well, Shaq, who is your fighter to watch? My fighter to watch is going to be Aspen Ladd. Look, this girl is 8-0. She's got the opportunity to come out here and beat a former UFC world champion in Jermaine Durandamy, a 48-0 Muay Thai fighter. And if she can get this win, man, this will be one of the quickest ascensions up to a title shot in a long time. Kind of reminds me of the run Israel had, you know, just in the division, boom, couple fights, and bam, right there. So if she gets this win, man, she, she literally just ran through the division. Yeah, look, I I can't disagree with that. It's crazy how quick her ascension has been. And you know the UFC's matchmakers are super high on her. So I wonder if they know something we don't know with this matchup. I'm very curious. My fighter to watch is the former UFC flyweight champion and the former tough winner, Nico Montano. Look, this is a girl that went out there as a 3-2 and fighter. She won the reality show. She won the UFC belt. She was scheduled to fight Shevchenko. Obviously, look, what 4-2 and fighter should be out there fighting Shevchenko, right? I don't blame her for pulling out that fight. But as a result, you know, the fans have shot all over her. Now she's taking on a fighter in Juliana Pena, who a lot of people at one point were saying could be the dark horse, could be the number one contender. So for that reason, uh, Nico Montano is my fighter to watch. Well, Shaq, we did it. It's going down this Saturday in Sacramento. Aspen Ladd versus Jermaine Durandamy. They can follow you at MMA Genius 05. They can follow me at Best Fight Picks. They can get our bets at bestfightpicks.com. Make sure you use the promo code Shaq for 10% off Shaq's individual package. Subscribe to Half the Battle on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, Stitcher, and Spotify. Thank you guys so much for the support. We'll be back next week. And until the next time, let's cash these bets.